0: Welcome to Long Story Short, the Future Cities podcast from Arcadis. I'm Emma Nelson and today we say hi to hydrogen, the most abundant element in the universe. We'll find out what it is and how it's produced.
1: The three main colours that ever are, are talked about are grey, blue and green.
0: We'll explore its uses and whether it's key to powering our future.
2: We see that hydrogen is essential to meeting Britain's net zero carbon
0: goals by 2050. But we'll also ask whether it really is the green solution to all our energy problems.
3: So you could argue, like, fundamentally, in the first instance, hydrogen is a decarbonisation problem, not a solution.
0: That's all ahead on Long Story Short, the Future Cities podcast from Arcadis. Climate change has been pushing us towards finding new green ways of heating our homes, powering our cars and buses and fueling our aircraft through the skies. And recently, more shocks have piled on the pressure. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has renewed our focus on fossil fuel and the cost of living has left many struggling to make ends meet. But are we all missing a trick? Hydrogen has been called the green oil of the 21st century, with enormous potential to replace the fossil fuels we are so dependent on. Well, I'm delighted to say that to talk about what hydrogen can and cannot do, I'm joined around the table today by... Natalie Sauber, Director at Arcadis, responsible for all things future mobility,
2: and hydrogen plays a huge part of that.
1: Mark Danter. Northern Gas Networks, looking at repurposing the gas network for hydrogen. I'm William Rose, CEO and founder of Octopus Hydrogen. We're a
3: green hydrogen producer in the UK.
0: Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Now, who is going to start off by explaining to us exactly what hydrogen is? Maybe Natalie, you'd quite like to have a go.
2: So hydrogen, really, if we bring it down to the crooks as a gas,
0: um, that is the lightest and commonest um, element in the universe. Nice and neat, Natalie. But when we talk about it in terms of how it's produced, it gets a bit more complicated, doesn't it, Mark? The hydrogen is classified in colours according to the way it's manufactured and made.
1: The three main colours that are, are we talked about are grey, blue, and green. Grey hydrogen is produced from uh, fossil fuels, natural gas, with the carbon emitted into the atmosphere, which is not not great. Blue hydrogen is a similar similar use from natural gas, but this time the carbon is captured and either stored for long periods of time or reused. And then you've got green hydrogen, which is actually generated from uh, green energy uh, sources. So that is the, the ultimate goal.
0: Will, do we often mistake hydrogen for being the fuel itself? Because it's not, is it?
3: It's not a source of energy. It's an energy carrier. So... Green hydrogen, the energy source was the wind or the sun, and then the hydrogen just a way of moving it around more conveniently. You've got to premise any assumption you're going to use around hydrogen around that fundamental fact. So if we're looking at a green future, really if you're, you know hydrogen's success is derived around the success of wind and solar being cheaper, which they will continue to get. It's also worth noting that we don't have any blue hydrogen projects in the world yet. But 97% of the world's hydrogen is grey hydrogen today.
0: And Mark, what does the colour classification mean in terms of the way that hydrogen is used?
1: Um, The colour doesn't actually matter what it's used for. It's just the way it's produced.
0: So we know how it's produced, so how do we move it around?
1: At the moment, the gas infrastructure isn't capable of moving hydrogen because it, at the moment, transports natural gas um, and we can't transport both of them at the same time. Um, Why not? Because you will mix together and you'll end up with a blend. There is potential to be, have a blend in, in in the future, and we are doing a trial up in a place called Windleighton at the moment, a project called Hydeploy, where we're looking at blending up to 20% in the gas network and trialling that to see if that's uh, feasible.
0: So it's taken a little bit of explanation to lay out what hydrogen is, how it's produced, how you transport it. So this is quite a complicated setup that we're talking about here. But it has been described as the green oil of the 21st century. Natalie, where do you see hydrogen's potential?
2: We see that hydrogen is essential to meeting Britain's net zero carbon goals by 2050. It's not solely responsible for it, but it's definitely, um, amongst many other things, whether that's renewable energy, um, electricity, um, solar, wind, it's part of it.
3: I was going to say, I think it's worth noting, so of the hydrogen that's used today, so we use something globally, it's about 80 million tonnes of hydrogen a year. Most of it today is grey, well, almost all of it, and most of it is used in fundamentally two processes, refining, so hydronation of um, crude oil, so i.e., you put hydrogen into oil to get different products out of it, whether that be jet fuel, and then the second is ammonia production for fertilizer. So you could argue, like, fundamentally, in the first instance, hydrogen is a decarbonization problem, not a solution, because hydrogen being produced through natural gas, it's a big problem. So one of the most important things you have to do is find a solution a green solution to some of those problems and then for me after you solve that first problem of we use lots of hydrogen and we need a greener solution to that then the next thing is okay what else could we use hydrogen for
0: hydrogen then isn't a perfect solution
1: it's going to be a hybrid solution um and exactly what natalie says you know there will be the right solutions for the right the right cause um but it's just how we go about that um obviously people are used to using natural gas for their heating and cooking, there's a convenience factor. So we are, in terms of the gas networks, we're looking at ways in which we can convert the existing infrastructure to transport hydrogen.
0: And you're with Long Story Short, the Future Cities podcast from Arcadis. Today, I'm joined around the studio table by Natalie Sauber from Arcadis, Will Rowe, who's from Octopus Hydrogen, and Mark Danter, who's from Northern Gas Networks. Let's move now to what hydrogen is used for. And let's begin with a prime candidate, that of transport. What kind of vehicles will make good candidates to be powered by Hydrogen. We already see some buses on our streets powered by it. But will it be useful for lots of other things? Are we talking about something as small as a scooter, for example?
3: Will. So scooters are they're light, you don't go a particularly long way in them and you don't do it that often, i.e. if not on a scooter twenty four hours a day, typically. I mean you probably fall off through tiredness. So it's not gonna happen. Whereas hydrogen is really sensible, or at least one of the options for things where you need to move a lot of weight, you, you need to do it a lot, so you need fast refueling times, or you, um, yes, it's uptime and weight. That's the key things where hydrogen adds value, you know, versus electrification.
0: So what are we talking about? Where I mean, working within your company at the moment, where are you trying to place hydrogen?
3: So in the UK specifically, we're looking at 44 tonne trucks, so the heavy end of the trucks. So realistically, I think it's accepted that battery electric long range trucks across Europe is not going to be that feasible a solution mainly because of grid issues with charging as much as it is the sort of range and payload of the vehicles.
0: Um, you've nodded just then Natalie when I said look transport what did what did you think of that? I definitely agree with Will anything above
2: 3.5 tonnes that makes sense. What does 3.5 tonnes um, look so think like? think of uh, trucks think of heavy goods vehicles the trucks that move our goods around in that it would make sense there for all the reasons that Will mentioned in terms of payload in terms of range and obviously rail as well especially here in the UK we need another solution for that. And um, that's not just in the UK, that's also across other countries. Um, We're working together with Clara Energy in Australia, where we are working on an inland rail project to use hydrogen trains across the entire Australian network. So that's a really, really big thing. It's already happening in Germany. It's already happening in in the Netherlands as well. So there's a huge potential for hydrogen in the rail sector.
3: And that rail's a really interesting one because if you think about it right now, people, we, we drive too much, right? We don't use public transport enough. But if it ends up in the next five to ten years, everyone's got an EV, or 20 years. And then you've got diesel trains as the alternative. People, through Virtue, will not get on the diesel train. So we have to have a green alternative quite quickly for rail.
0: And wider transport too. Will, aviation is an exciting area when it comes to hydrogen, isn't it? What's the potential here? I think
3: most of your flights across Europe will be zero emission by 2040. I think it's definitely feasible. I think long hauls are really challenging, but anything under four hours is pretty feasible.
0: Natalie, hydrogen's playing a big part in the development of a project in the north of the UK, isn't it? They're developing all areas of low carbon air travel.
2: Up in Scotland, um, we are developing the infrastructure of a sustainable test airport. And within that, there are three different types of aircraft, including electric, hydrogen, or e fuels, which will be tested. <coughs>
0: So let's move on to the domestic uses of hydrogen. Mark, tell us what's happening with hydrogen in the areas of heating and powering our homes. First, we need to establish that actually we need a lot more of hydrogen to make things happen, don't we?
1: It's about a third of the energy value of natural gas. So we need more of it. We need to move it uh, around so that you've got three times as much hydrogen needs to be moved about. So the hybrid solution of having an integrated you know, some people being on on heat pumps, um, some people being on on hydrogen would actually solve some of our, our issues.
0: And what is the appetite for this?
1: We've got two experimental houses up at Lothornley where we've had the houses built. We have them running on hydrogen, so we've got um, hydrogen boilers in each of the houses. We've got cooking facilities as well as heating. And we experience a lot of interest in those houses. We book appointments to people to come and see, and we're probably booked two or three months in advance.
0: It is popular, isn't it? And there is a bigger issue here, isn't there, Natalie, when it comes to the urgency of making sure our houses are greener? Are you seeing more demand from the clients that Arcadis works with? We cannot
2: buy gas boilers past 2025. So in terms of, you know, your point around is there going to be demand for Is there has to be a demand for an alternative solution. And that's what we're doing with Camden. We are basically taking that to the industry and working with um, innovative councils who are really, really keen to have a solution in place tomorrow. What exactly are you
0: doing in these homes in Camden?
2: Basically, we're going for site evaluations and we're seeing which of the housing stocks or which of the social housing would benefit and work with a hydrogen boiler and could also withhold the infrastructure that's needed to get the hydrogen from A to B in that. And then once that's approved, we're then basically recommending the type of gas, um, the type of hydrogen
0: boiler that should go in there. So this is the practical absolutely to how it works in our homes. Just explain to me a little bit more, Mark, about the will and investment. When it comes to this, because to transform our power infrastructure the way that you are describing requires an awful lot of time, an awful lot of money and a lot of patience and goodwill.
1: It does. It kind of goes back to conversion back in the 60s and early 70s. You know, we did a similar sort of thing, convert the, the gas network then from town's gas to natural gas. You know, that took 10, 11 years. It's likely to take a similar amount of time to convert the, the gas network. In terms of investment, earlier this year, one investment from Bays and Offgem to look at a village size trial. So at the site up at Redcar, we are looking at the design phase of um, repurposing the gas network, but also surveying the properties to convert about 2,000 metre points. So that's a combination of about 1,800 homes, so that's aiming to have the village running on hydrogen by 2025. The ambition for government, which was set out in the 10-point plan, is to have a town trial running by 2030.
0: And you're coming into this as well, aren't you, well, with Octopus Hydrogen? You're starting with a brand new clean slate here, aren't you? We yeah,
1: are indeed, but we've,
3: we are very much not looking at hydrogen for domestic heat, so... And The fundamental reason is, so A, A, we don't see that the transition's that simple, as in how do you do it, and B, the cost will be materially more for most people. So a heat pump will heat a home for the similar cost to it it is today with a gas boiler with gas prices as they were a year ago. Hydrogen is going to be two, three, four times more, and I just don't think... We should be using bill payers' money to basically say to them, you will be paying four times more for your heat for the rest of for, forever, because that's the reality of it. Do you not think that um, demand drives innovation? Well, green hydrogen, best case scenario, gets it at circa $1.50 a kilo. For it to compete with natural gas prices, it needs to be at 50 pence a kilo. So that's a three times increase, full stop fundamentally no you know I, I don't think it can get there
0: so hydrogen in its domestic use is something still to be debated it's a in terms of the big um, debate I
3: think the th- key thing is it's a big debate across industry you've got you know energy companies such as Octopus, OVO, EDF typically the electricity related guys really pushing against hydrogen for heat and then you've got the oil and gas majors and the gas networks pushing for it um I don't think it will come down to the biggest lobbying budget. I think fundamentally the science will win in the long term.
0: The science and also the willingness, arguably, Natalie, with the clients that Arcadis work with, who make that decision as to whether hydrogen is something that they really want to go down in terms of a path. Yes,
2: I think there's going to be some councils, some areas, some countries who are very strongly going to push towards a hydrogen solution and others who are going to take a slightly alternative path. And that depends on a variety of different reasons in terms of uh, whether the cost and the technology are measuring up to that, as well as in terms of what alternatives are there and if they're going to be cheaper.
0: So let's look ahead. When are we going to see hydrogen as a main accepted form of energy?
1: We're looking at the village size trial for 2025, town by 2030. Uh, but the, the discussion point after that is once that town pilot is been achieved, then looking at rolling out across the country. So you, you know, early 2030s is probably when you're going to start seeing parts of the network converted to hydrogen.
0: And how hopeful are you that this will happen?
1: At the end of the day, it's not our decision as networks. We can't just convert the network. It's a policy decision. that's going to be made in 2026, predominantly for whether we have hydrogen for heating in the homes. But whatever happens um, as a network, we believe that hydrogen is going to be moved about because it's the cheapest form of, of transporting hydrogen.
0: How about you, Natalie, um, just looking at when we are going to see hydrogen as a main accepted form of energy? When can you see that happening?
2: we have a big looming deadline, which is net zero carbon by 2050. That's going to accelerate a lot of the technology and the innovation and the need for us to go green at a very high speed. I think there's going to be quite a lot of need for both public and private sectors to work together and to agree in terms of
0: where hydrogen makes the most sense across the different industries. And you at Arcadis are pushing with a hydrogen pledge in order to Try and speed this whole process up, aren't you? Yes,
2: indeed. So we've already talked about a number of projects, exciting projects that we're working on. But of course, we're also working together with the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. And here we're not only working with them, but we're also developing policies to further the hydrogen use across the different industries.
0: Finally, a tip from you all or a bit of advice. If you had one thing to say to industry, to government, to developers, to the private and public sector about Something that you should do positively to do with hydrogen, what might it be, Will?
3: It's clear to me that any strategy for a net importer of natural gas to go down the blue hydrogen route is madness because you're effectively continuing to compound your problems. In what way? Well, you have to import the gas to make the blue hydrogen. But for us as a net importer of gas, it's just crazy. I just don't understand how you'd ever have a blue hydrogen strategy. It has to be green.
0: Okay, have a green hydrogen strategy we, do, well. we
3: actually do have one. It's just there's also a lot of blue <laughs> is the
1: problem.
0: More green than blue?
1: It, only green.
0: Only green. <laughs> only green hydrogen. How about you, Mark?
1: For us in the gas industry, it would be requesting a clear policy. You know, we're working towards the decision in 2026, but we're still not sure. The boiler manufacturers, for instance, they won't commit to anything at the moment in terms of hydrogen-ready boilers. We just need a clear policy as soon as possible.
0: So your message is, government, please hurry up. Yes. Excellent. Uh, Natalie, finally, what's your tip or call to action? Um, I think from an industry perspective, um, we would
2: love to see that people stop working in silos and stop thinking that they've basically figured it out, whether it's green, whether it's blue, whether that's um, any of the other colours, and really agree in terms of where does
0: it make sense. And that brings us to the end of today's show. My thanks to Natalie Sauber from Arcadis. Will Rowe from Octopus Hydrogen and Mark Danter from Northern Gas Networks. And thank you very much for joining me. If you enjoyed that, then make sure you subscribe and you'll find fresh podcasts all to do with the future of our cities, our communities and their recovery popping up regularly at arcadis.com. You've been with Long Story Short, the Future Cities podcast from Arcadis. I'm Emma Nelson. Goodbye and thank you for listening.